Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 195th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's banned on five continents, but only in the formats you don't play. MDG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MDG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with everybody. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this week? Well, this week we've got plenty to talk about, as we do most weeks. Uh, segment 1, our top movers, we'll talk about all the cards that have Move the most in price this week. Uh, I'll give you one guess as to what format's behind most of it. Is Segment it, two, our car. Is it Oathbreaker? Yes. Yes. It's, that's, I forgot that was a format. <laughs> Segment two, our cards to watch. We'll, uh, James and I will run through the cards we think have positive outlooks. Segment three, our Medigame Week in Review. We have a MTGO Pioneer PTQ and also the SCG Invitational. Uh, both had pioneer invitation so going to jump into those and finally segment four our topic of the week a big week in bannings as we are all aware so we'll be getting into that and what what does that mean for the market and magic going forward so let's jump right in here segment one our top movers first card of the week colitis trader of get out of both of the gatewatch 25 to 35 so not the biggest change but Colitis is showing up in a bunch of uh, these mono black pioneer decks. They're very aggressive. Uh, we'll see later on that they had a real good week, especially now that uh, Bell Summer apparently must have been a big deal in keeping these decks suppressed or something like that. Uh, but Colitis 25 to 35 out of Oath of the Gatewatch. Um, so it seems like uh, you could probably hold here, but. I don't know how much demand there is really going to be to push this much past 35. And while Mono Black is good today, Pioneer is so um, so tumultuous at the moment. I'm not sure that's going to be true, you know, in a week, two weeks, a month. I feel like this deck's going to be good for three to six months. Um, if it take, it's the kind of deck that can be responded to relatively easily if it takes up too great a percentage of the metagame. So. It'll be around. I, I think that decks like this, or at least components of these decks, will fade from existence as the format matures. As I start designing for the format, when you get Pioneer Horizons and so forth, um, or even just 2021 set of standard uh, sets that are being designed with Pioneer in mind, you're going to see some gaps get filled and as as we've talked about in the past it's going to converge with the power level of something like modern um but for now black deck's looking really good kalidus uh trader get is a mythic 
several years out of print. Foils are also taking off pretty hot and heavy. I got an offer on three foils today at something like, I think it was like 42 a piece, and I turned it down. Um, I feel like I'm going to get 50 to 60 on those eventually, and not in the too distant future. They're draining pretty hard. Yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the deck is, is very potent. Um, uh, uh, my money's on, you know, just an aggro an aggro deck, especially the slow to the ground, typically only one is really going to hold water for any period of time. Um, you know, it also runs the issue that even if the deck is good, if you have a banning, like if they ban something on the other side of the format, they can have a cascade effect where, you know, if Nykthos is gone, it makes these other decks better, which all happen to just beat up on mono black aggro. So like mono black aggro eats it because they banned Nykthos. I don't know if that's going to happen, but like I could see a scenario like that playing out. Um, but I, really, it's it's just a matter of if I'm getting paid on Pioneer cards, I'm taking that anywhere I can get it for the most yeah. part. Yeah, I, I I sold out of my foreign versions of Kalidus uh, over the last couple of weeks, happily close to 30. And that's just like 40% of a box. These are you know, Most of those were pack opened, not spec'd. And 40%, getting 40% of a box value back like five years later is just it's why Magic's a great hobby. The, right. You know, it's... Anybody who played in that era, you know, 2010 to 2016 is just getting paid off huge here. And same thing happened with Modern. Yep, 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 yep. All right, next on the list, we got Supreme Verdict. I, I, was, I had to go back and check how low these got because I, like, I feel like this card for at least three or four years was just dead in the water. It was seeing a modicum of play in EDH and Modern, otherwise kind of irrelevant. And Blue-White Control wasn't good for a few years kind of always kind of on the fringes of modern and now we're seeing you know the iconic masters copy and it's really all the versions but this is the one we picked out going 11 to 17 this card's probably headed for 25 would have been a real great card to include in the mystery boosters because <laughs> it's just a generally good sweeper that most magic players want to own and that would have been a real nice home for it 20 25 dollars for a card this that is this card was four bucks a few years back, so anybody who was holding stacks of these, it was a long haul, but it paid off. If 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 memory serves me, you called this as a buy back before IMA, and then IMA got printed and you got caught out on it. I feel like I remember that happening. That's the, that sounds totally reasonable, um, and I think the call was probably the buy box promos which are also headed for like $30. Mm. Um, and because there's no easy place for this to get reprinted before the commander set, and I don't think you'll see it there, uh, this could be hanging out for a while. This, this could be, this could be a, there could be some meat left on this bone. Um, I mean, at $15. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Supreme. I mean, it's going to be a, a continue to be a major board sweep in Pioneer. Um, you know, especially with Teferi around, right? Like, Te Teferi is such a good planeswalker that as long as he's legal, people are going to be playing blue white. An uncounterable wrath that you get to play at instant speed <laughs> under a Teferi is pretty nasty. That they can't respond to. Yeah. 
That, yeah, because or they don't get the blade of speed. Because <laughs> right. let me just double check to ferry here. I yeah, that's correct. Again. That's, that's correct. Yeah, so you can, they can take, if you have Teferi in play, they can only play at sorcery can. Right, right, right. But like, so if you tick them up, they play their turn out and they pass. And at the end of turn, you, you just, wrath. you wrath and they can't do anything about it at all. Yep. Ugh. Yep. Uh, it's pretty savage. So. Speaking of. Hmm? So, yeah. I mean, the, I buy listed a bunch of these last week. Um, and like, obviously this, this will not, this isn't the first and it won't be the last time that I'm exiting early on pioneer cards. But when this stuff was sitting in the box of shame, it's pretty tough to not just take the double up and let go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember if I have any of this. I'm going to have to go back and double check, but yeah, I mean, if I've got Supreme verdicts here, this is one of the rare cases where I'm probably holding probably. It's kind of funny, though, because I was looking through one of my buy lists landed at CK yesterday, and they sent me back the notes on the the grading discrepancies. And I'm pretty surprised at how many of the Pioneer cards that I know were pack fresh. They want to call SP and challenge me Mm -hmm. on because a lot of this stuff, they're already offering significantly more money (laughs) and giving me the out of just taking them back and being able to resubmit to the buy list or just sell direct is not smart. (laughs) <laughs> they, they should i mean i get it if i send you an mp copy it's water damage that i didn't catch which never happens but okay um sure make sure you flag that and, and pay accordingly but not gonna near a card that i probably buy listed at like 850 or something that's currently heading for 20 and telling me that you don't you don't want what was probably a near mint card because you're claiming it, it's sp is probably doing yourself a disservice I, yeah that seems like uh you know, one hand doesn't know what the other is doing. And at the same time, anyone who listened to last week or the week before heard me get very annoyed that I sent some vendor their own damn cards back and got told they were SP despite them selling them to me as near mint. So that's that that is something that I uh Yeah, I had have I had, feelings about I had at least three or four of those this week between Abu and CK. The mm. uh <laughs> So I do a little negotiation dance these days. I mean, I buy listed $20,000 with these organizations this year. So my, my emails tend to get read a little more uh, with a, an eye to the rational. Um, but they also sent me, they also sent me to be fair, this, I think this was to do with my Abu buy list this week. They sent me back some pictures in strong light that just showed I was wrong on some grades like stuff i said was sp was clearly mp stuff i said was near mint was borderline lp mp uh sometimes we're wrong so yeah it's good to photo document your stuff so that you can have a real conversation but try not to waste their time if if you send them a bunch of like collection jank that you bought from somebody and it was just unsleeved bulk basically sitting in boxes banging around for years submit it at a lower grade and just accept that that's what you're going to get Save everybody. Well, I sent, I sent, I don't think it was like 50 Aetherworks marbles in a week or two ago. This is after my uh, other incident. Um, And they replied with like 35 of the 50 being SP, which I could definitely buy even 20% of those, maybe 30% being SP. In a stack of 50, sure. 
Yeah, but like there were definitely a few, definitely not all 35 of those were SP. A lot of those marvels got pulled out of packs, put into sleeves and like kind of sat around. They might have gotten played, you know, in sleeves once type of thing. Uh, But all of this actually gets to a point that I, I feel like I'm on the outs with the magic community on this one. But I think that people have conflated near mint with mint. Yep, and they are different. They are different grades, and uh, almost all of the condition complaints I get on TCG Player are people who bought near mint expecting mint. Um, yep, which you know you can have. I would say visible marks on a card, and it still counts as near mint. Depends what the marks so, are, but because if, if there are no, yeah, but I mean if there are no visible marks, okay, then what? Then there's nothing wrong with it. So now it's mint, right? Like, but uh, that's a. So yeah, and that's an argument that, you know, is going to be difficult to do over audio. And, well, and further down, further along that logic chain, the difference between near mint and SP is probably mostly pointless. Like Abu just collapsed it in their own buy list. They only make one offer now for near mint slash SP or played. And there's a huge mm, drop yeah. off in what they're offering on the played. But they're they're claiming at least, and we'll see how this holds up over time, that your SP stuff is going to get the same price as your near mint stuff. And well, that's what Star City did, right? And it makes to me this makes sense if the grading is accurate, because when you, when you're calling something near mint or SP, you're basically saying it's got a couple of little white nicks on the edges, the corners might be a little tinged, but there's no muck. You know, there's not like that sleeve muck on on the surface. No water damage, no bending, no creasing, no, uh, in the case of foils, no extreme uh, curling. It's, it's not that hard, really. But it, especially with stuff I get from Europe, people seem to be just absolutely unwilling to be reasonable about their own grading. I'd say about 30% of stuff I order on MCM is misgraded. And it's one of the biggest drags on my operation there. Just the having to, and it's never easy. Like only 20% of the vendors will ever just accept the request for a $3, you know, adjustment to the price I paid, which is already me being generous because it's A, wasting my time and B, it's so much harder to sell the LP or MP card they sent me than it is to sell a near mint one. And the common response in MCM is always, well, that card spiked, so you know, you're up already, as though that's even remotely relevant to the original transaction. And then the really savvy vendors will say, okay, well, I'll, I'll, sure, I'll give you a full refund. That card spiked, so go ahead and send it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you, you've mm-hmm. got to waste your time getting your shipping partner in Europe to go ship stuff for you, so you're heavily disincentivized to do it. I mean, I've just stopped, tried to stop buying anything that's not clearly pack fresh, like if it's not coming out of a brick then try to avoid cards under $10 in Europe because it's just not worth it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I had the condition concern in Europe a couple times, and it's the same problem. You, but you're running through an intermediary. It makes that uh, more difficult for sure to deal with. And, I, you know, you try and get your partner to, to keep an eye out for you, but you're only going to be able to do so much, which is totally understandable. So it's uh, it's a tricky game to play on that front. 
All right, so moving along this list, let's blow through a bunch. Kozilek's return out of Oath of the Gatewatch from three to five dollars. Uh, that's you're looking for a buy list play there. Ditto with Rekindling Phoenix out of uh, Rivals of Exelon, five fifty to nine dollars. There's a big red uh, deck floating around in, in Pioneer. Archangel Avacyn's been seeing some play on the fringes of Pioneer, going from six to ten dollars. Uh, and then Mutavault is probably the most notable. Uh, this is another card like Supreme Verdict that was just on the bench for a few years. And now we're seeing the M14 version, the Morning Tide version, just exploding. These cards were languishing in the like 8 to $10 range. Uh, up until recently, there was a GP promo, which is actually quite lovely. Um, and all of that's just popping off. So this is the Morning Tide version going from 13 to 25 like almost 100% gain. This probably lands in the 30 to $40 range, as long as there's a good aggro deck that wants four of them in Pioneer. Because, again, no reprint. Uh, yeah. 30 to 40 sounds a, a little... St- I mean, 40 sounds steep to me. I could see it pushing 30, though. Mutavault definitely had a, a point in time where it managed that type of pricing. Um, and M14 is getting long in the tooth now. That's six years ago. You know, I remember when that was new, uh, but we are we are past that these days. The, the other, it, it doesn't really matter because anyone who really is playing Mutavault is casting the champs copy. <laughs> which clocks in at $550 at the yeah, moment. Yeah, they're ridiculous. The um, the other thing is, I don't think they want this card back in standard, so I don't think you're going to see it in another core set. And it's not the kind of thing they're going to put in any of these fancy commander products they've got choking up the supply chain this year. So where do you end up seeing... Like, it, there, there would have to be an ancillary product early summer that we don't know about yet for Morning Tide to... I mean, sorry, for uh, Mutavault to see a reprint. I don't know. That's weird because uh, Mutavault was good in standard for sure, but I don't think it was broken. And keep in mind, this was back during the... This is during Theros, right, I think? I feel like that was legal. Mono blue devotion, like it's an elemental and Master of Waves makes it bigger. Well, yeah, oh, don't get me wrong. It was good. It was like a top tier card, but it I don't remember it being like a problem good. But also, Wizards came out Monday and said, uh, we turned the dial up on standard. And we, we're happy with that. So like what might have been and they even pointed to Theros as the standard power level they liked, didn't they? I feel like they specified that one in specifically so i'm not saying mutable is getting reprinted i'm just saying like this could be one of the wow i can't believe they reprinted that type of cards that pops up in a course at some place give, give it a percentage chance in 2020 oh per, i mean even if it was a hundred percent reprintable the overall odds are still like what three percent maybe oh, okay i was gonna give it 30 so i mean you're you're already more skeptical than i am well, what are the odds that any part, any particular card gets reprinted in 2020? Well, but it's not even, any... Even disc... I don't look at it as any, it even discounting any, all the any garbage? random card. I mean, there's the list of cards that are in need of a reprint for specific purposes is usually only a couple hundred long. <clears throat> um, but anyway, Mutavault is probably going to make some more money <laughs> before it slows down. Uh, this yeah, one's, this yeah, one's yeah. interesting. Dark Petition Foils out of Origins. Um, this is the demonic tutor that gives you three mana back if you have an instant and a sorcery in your graveyard, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, cost uh, five, but you get three black in your pool if you have spell something. Two spell mastery. You have to two cards and two spells in your graveyard, basically. Instant and the sorcery, though, right? Uh, I think it was just instant or, instant or sorcery. Yeah. Okay. Instant or two sorcery. or more instant and or sorcery. So have cast two other spells this game. Yeah. So this is. You know, along with Wishclaw Talisman, these are potentially dangerous cards in a deep-powered version of Modern. Um, because they do let you just go get things when you need them. And apparently, in Pioneer, there's Saltai Control and Seasons Past builds that are making use of this. Mm. And they're basically all the stuff you would imagine they are. It's the full suite of, like, strong sultai spells abrupt decays assassin's trophy once upon a time fatal push treasure cruise um jason's prodigy murderous rider oko etc etc um and they can make use of dark petition to go get the piece the thing the solution they need to the problem at hand um and then there's a season's past deck which is basically a jundi style grind 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 and then season's past to like fill up your hand yeah, I, uh, so I saw this pop up on the list here, and I, um, I'm going to recognize the card's potential. Uh, I hadn't seen any of the Pioneer lists that make use of it, but I can believe it. I can I can see it in Seasons Past stacks. That makes a lot of sense to me, and even just a generic spells. I could almost play something like a, um, oh, what was that instant from Time Spiral everyone liked with Flashback? Mm, it was a common four mono. It tutored for an instant and then mystical had teachings. black flashback. Mystical teachings. It strikes me as a mystical teachings type card where it's a really good tutor once you kind of ramp your mana engine up. Uh, but I, I actually picked this like, oh man, a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. It was a while ago. And at the time I picked it for EDH. And because there's it's a yep. 7,500 EDH reckless. Uh, and, you know, it was seeing some fringe play in modern too. And I was like, hey. This is a demonic tutor under the right conditions. Um, so I'm certainly not that present, but, uh, you know, just goes to show you that, you know, if you key in on these powerful cards and they're seeing play in one place, sometimes you can kind of walk backwards into getting lucky elsewhere. Um, in any case, if you can get $15 for these foils, I'd probably be happy to take that um, because th that's what I wanted to sell these for anyways. And... It would have to be pretty good in Pioneer. It, it, it would have to be a real deck in Pioneer to get much over 20. I see four listings on TCG Player. One person's got three copies, then two copies at 14 and 15. Looks like one of our people has 13 copies. And then there's a there's a copy at 30. So there's really not... I wonder where he got them. Yeah, really. There's not much out there. No, I mean, it's possible that that stuff will come back... Uh, you know, we'll filter back into the market too, though, right? Yeah. Like the true. people who, anyone who bought it as a spec a little while ago is now going to be trying to get out. So there'll be a bit of a traffic jam, I would bet, at the lower price points. The thing is, because Origins was a summer set, it's not like a fall set. There's not just a ton of inventory sitting around. Like if, if something like random from Battle for Zendikar spikes, <laughs> the bulk will come out of the woodwork. But. Origins was a lesser open set, so even over in Europe, I'm not seeing like super deep inventory. Though you could definitely pick up some copies in the seven to eight dollar range if you believe these are going to hold fifteen. 
Yeah, I don't think that there's a, a wealth of copies floating around out there for people to get in on. Uh, I think that if this is if it's a flash of, a flash in the pan in Pioneer, the price is going to come back down. Yep. Um, but because people will be you know dig out their spec copies and try and, and move them, but if there is any traction in Pioneer, then it will definitely stick. And in EDH, it has the problem of being. Um of having seven, eight, nine, ten cards that can do the same job, including just straight up demonic tutor that just got reprinted in the mystery boosters. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I don't know anyone that plays with demonic tutor, so I'm not clear if there is a limit to how many demonic tutors you want in a deck. Wish Claw Talisman is definitely competition though. Yep. True. And, and there's also other ones too. There's like Mausoleum Secrets. I remember buying some foils of that one. That's the one that lets you sack a creature and go get a black card. So like in certain decks, there are, you know, if you're in a black deck that wants to be like pulling things in out of the graveyard, like say Maldratha, and you happen to be wanting to go get black solution cards, um, you know, there, there are many situational tutors. Yeah, if you make it your goal to play tutors, you will not come up short. This is also a candidate to just get a re- catch a reprint in Commander Legends this time next year. Uh, conceivable, conceivable. I could see them toss that in one of the lower value rare slots. Next on our list, we got Vivian Arcbow Ranger from ten to twenty dollars. Foils also exploded. Um, I buy listed mine. Uh, was worried that Nykthos was going to catch the ban, but they dodged it this week. Yeah, pretty shocking that uh, they didn't do anything with that deck. Um, still looking very potent. Probably the best or second best deck in the format right now. Maybe next, but they said we probably won't see anything next Monday. Um, so it's going to be safe for at least you know two weeks, basically. It, it felt like had they not had to ban anything in Standard, I'm willing to bet there would have been bans in Pioneer this week. But dumping all of that on everybody all at once was just a little much for them given that they had just banned stuff in pioneer the week prior and the week before that hmm. there is a limit there, there, I mean, there is a limit gonna... they must be caught co- like cognizant of the fact that they are already pushing the envelope this year they've had to ban a lot of things and i i some, i think saf put out um a quiz uh, like a survey this week uh this morning on Twitter where he was asking everybody, okay, so if they're asserting that the power level is going to be still pretty strong heading into the next two or three sets, how many bands are we going to have in 2020? And the consensus was three plus. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds it, it, three, like three standard bands in 2020. Yeah. Uh, three is definitely on the high side for standard. Because you can have kind of a messed up format, but not have anything that needs to be banned. But it's not without outside of the realm of possibility. I also think, by the way, that if they're going to ban, if they've already got three bolts in the chamber for standard, you might as well shove the Pioneer one in. Because uh, the PR equity of you know, I see what you're saying. adding an yeah, additional yeah. Pioneer already, ban is lessened. Pissed. Right. What, one of the problems there, though, is that some of the cards that you might... that that were on the block potentially for Pioneer um, were ones they just banned in Standard. So like if they had taken out Oko and Pioneer and Standard on the same day, the card would have crashed, which would have further injured Eldrain sales. Instead, he rebounded almost immediately on Magic Online and jumped like 10 tickets. 
Um, and I actually had like a little like side thing, not really a bet so much as a dis- discussion I was having with uh, Menguchi on Twitter, where he had posted a tweet saying he was going to buy uh, Oko while it was low because he thought like bands in multiple formats were priced in and he didn't have any yet. So he went ahead and bought them ahead of the news. And I had responded saying, you know what? Like, not sure that's the greatest advice because on news, it could be multi, it could be a pioneer slash standard ban and Oko could just get the ax and tumble, tumble. But given that he only caught it in one format and Manguchi now says, I don't think Oko's ever getting banned in pioneer. What I think is brash. Um, I mean, a pro with much more experience than me. However, <laughs> I've seen lots of pros get lots of three-mana Planeswalker takes wrong this year. So take everything with a grain of salt, including what we say. Um, but anyway, Vivian Vivian did Vivian's deck didn't catch the axe, so she's in good shape. And I like getting out of here. If this is the like, you know, the the assumed ban was priced into the card, and now it's hitting its natural stride for the actual power level in the format get out now while the getting's good i don't don't care if i hadn't already gotten out of my vivians i would be getting out now because i don't care to test whether it's going to hit 30 to 40 no 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 uh you know with green looking so good in pioneer at the moment um and theros on the horizon to possibly power that deck up some more and once upon a time, possibly, you know, realistically very high on the chopping block and pioneer. Yeah, and Vivian has got to be the worst card to own in that deck if the you know if the party gets broken up. Uh, yeah, I, I'd be selling here if I had any. Wild Slash at a Fate Reforged. We talked about it last week. Uh, this is a card that jumped from like basically nothing bulk status to three or four dollars and non foil. Here we got the foils going. Popped up to like 10 last week. Now they've, you know, continued to appreciate. Now we're talking like 10 to 30 um, for ridiculous gains. And I'm pretty sure I picked up maybe a dozen of these foils in Europe at like two or three dollars, including some like Russian foils at three or four dollars. So I should probably try to get those listed because <laughs> i don't want to wait around for when wild slash is no longer good enough like if they reprint something in between wild slash and lightning bolt uh yeah th- i mean <laughs> yes i would be selling the hell out of my wild slash here because that's exactly the concern that it gets trumped and it will get trumped um and these are going to crash you know are, are going to look real bad when we get the slightly better wild slash type of thing, uh, which is only a matter of time. So it's, it is, it is at it's high watermark in pioneer. Is it charm? Uh, another card that was basically a nothing. And now looks like it might have a buy list play in its future. And I suspect this is the kind of thing that if you've got bulk from the last decade, you probably have a bunch of, is it charms lying around mm-hmm. um, magic uh, modern masters, 2017 copies from a dollar to two fifty. Uh, I don't. I would guess that buy lists have not quite caught up on this on this card yet because I suspect that most vendors have pretty deep inventory. But this is probably on the back of blue red phoenix being and teamer phoenix being real things in pioneer. Is it phoenix had a several printings too? If memory serves me, uh, I'm seeing five. Is it charm? Yeah. Is it charm? What did I say? Is it, is phoenix? it phoenix? 
is it yeah is the charm's got five printings um but like one of them's a a guild kit um one of them's an fnm promo which and, obviously aren't and, gonna be and interestingly that the, the buy list on those uh rarer versions is like double the normal one because the people that buy those guild kits and stuff are filthy casuals that never buy list anything mm-hmm. uh the fnm is it charms there are uh four vendors for eight copies on tcg right now from seven to ten dollars uh huh. that, that could be a that's a good looking card too nice art yeah the only challenge is that it's the same art from modern masters 3 uh, okay so it's the, it's the same thing that's unfortunate uh the, the original return of the ravnica foils might actually be a better action uh, the original return of the ravnica foils are now ten dollars the market price is 250 but the low is 10 uh hmm. so somebody somebody might have gone after these very recently I mean, this is basically the closest thing you have to Faithless Looting in the format. It also has utility in other directions. So uh, it's, yeah. it's interesting seeing what would be, you know, our mediocre cards in Modern uh, posting up as true staples in Pioneer. Um, next on the list, we've got Hour of Promise uh, from $1.25 to $3.50. This is on the back of the Field of the Dead ramp decks that did very well in the last couple of weeks. Um, Field of the Dead, you know, maybe that's on the chopping block for Pioneer sooner rather than later i have to imagine field of the dead is a more fair big mana deck than the like nykthos is i mean if you're wizards i feel like field of the dead is better for your format um it promotes a lot more diversity there's a lot more more ways to approach it uh, as opposed to nykthos which is essentially going to demand the same core group of cards um and it's just going to make every card you print Oh, it's, it's got, you know, green pips, so we have to think about it. Uh, so it seems less likely to get banned as a big mana deck. Um, and, you know, you do want one of, you, you're fine having that deck exist. It's just a question of, like, whether it's too good. Uh, so I, I like I like its its outlook here. I like Field of the Dead's outlook in, as an as it archetype, I like its outlook in Pioneer. Uh, Our Promise is another one I actually called based on EDH demand, you know, months ago, a year ago. Um, because it fetches any two lands, right? Not just uh, basics. So that is a pretty big deal in EDH, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, any two land cards. So uh, you can get, for instance, your Field of the Deads. Um, and I would have picked foils for this recently if it weren't already pretty much unavailable, I think, or already much more expensive than I want to spend money on. Um, let's see, you you'll pay eight fifty for foils right now, but supply is real shallow on those as well. So if you can find any foils of this uh, under, I would say under eight, it's probably worth snagging. Some slight chance it's in that green foils commander product with the eight cards in the summer, but doesn't quite feel marquee enough for that. No, I wouldn't think so. But yep. it is good in EDH. Next on the list, Insult Artifact, uh, non-foils at an M15 from a dollar to two fifty. This is on the back of the Is It Insult Shrapnel Blast deck in Pioneer, uh, which deals damage in chunks of five. So if you draw the right cards, they're usually dead pretty quickly. Um, this next one's interesting: Temple of Enlightenment out of Born of the Gods. The foils from ten to forty. Uh, I don't know if anybody's paying forty for these, but they have basically just dried up. 
I I don't believe this. I don't believe that anyone is paying more than I'm even going to put 20 as the high mark for this. It should still be a nice double up. Sure. Sure. I might have some of these actually from my personal collection. Uh, apparently um, this is on the back of both. Well, a whole bunch of decks running it. Golos field of the dead, blue, white control fire, super friends, blue, white uh, control with a different set of cards and Bant field of the dead being the most popular uh, deck that runs it. And apparently they run like one copy, but some of the decks, yeah. some of the, I would guess the blue white control deck is more interested in scrying to find the right things. Pioneer builds seem to be running. Let's see. Well, some run none, some run one or two. It just really seems like this is, this was already a solid EDH land. And now you got this brand new format where five or six different decks might want a copy. And Born of the Gods is not a fall set, it's a winter set. So, and it's been five or six years since Theros block. So, and these have been reprinted but never in foil, would be my guess. Um, how, however, the this is the set of Scrylands that could easily be in Theros, right? Yeah, well, that's where the temples are from, is Theros, yeah. Well, no, but I mean so we because we got five of them in the core set this summer, but not the other five. And now we're going. Oh. To, and now we're going to Theros. <laughs> oh yeah, God, I don't. I cannot keep track of what my land uh, cycles are in standard these days. Um, yeah. So what do they do? All the enemy ones in Magic twenty twenty then? Yeah. Yeah. So which sets these up in Theros pretty easy. not as a guarantee, but uh, in in which case take your exit. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I don't want to play chicken with that train. I mean, I might have. For all I know, I have Russian or Korean foils sitting around randomly in EDH decks I should s- scoop out and get rid of. I wonder if my Bluetooth headphones will last the 15 feet to my shelf over there for me to go look. <laughs> all right, biggest gainer of the week. This one's well-earned. Blood-soaked champion. Uh, random standard aggro card that never really did too much work in that format. There, were the, there was a deck, but I don't think it was the best. Uh, but now... Mono Black is looking very serious in Pioneer. Mono Black aggro um, playing such classics as Blood Soaks Champion and Night Market Lookout with Smuggler's Copter, which is, I think, the anchor of the deck. I think without Copter, this this deck may or may not exist. Um, but seeing these go from $0.50 cents to $4, whoo boy, I went ahead and went, went and checked my bulk from that era, and lo and behold, 14 copies sitting around that were written off as totally worthless. Oh, the non-foils, $0.50 cents to $4. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Because it's a four of in the in the deck that just won the Envy. Yeah, I don't want to have to go look for these. I didn't either, but, but I fortunately had them clustered in one place, so it only took 10 minutes. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, this is why I have long been a proponent of never selling your bulk. <laughs> yeah. Because I guarantee you, you would have flipped past Blood Soak Champions in the past and been like, when the hell is this ever going to be worth anything? Well, turns out, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, I, it's now. I, I bought the Super Collection that I wrote about in 2015, what, four years ago now? Four and a half years ago. And just recently, the, the core point is that the collection had a binder of every set. And I went through that. It took us about two weeks to mine it. Within four months, I had flipped it. 
I thought I'd mined all the value. And I went back to that well five, six, seven times and have sco- like scraped another five or $6,000 US out of those binders for buy lists and the occasional card that spiked. And it was only recently that I finally had drained like a third of the binders to the point where I was like, there cannot be anything left in here. I'm just going to drop these off at face-to-face games and dare them to give me money. And Kelly called me personally and said, yeah, there's nothing in here. We're just going to give these to charity. And I was like, yep, no problem. And then they reminded me that I let I had mistakenly handed off binders that included the original Visions binder, the original Ice Age binder, and I think it was the original Stronghold binder or something, all of which are worth like 30 to to $100. So <laughs> there was more money in the binders than there was in the cards left. But you got you got to work that bulk till you know it's dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've got plenty of bulk that I'm sure no one is ever gonna want. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Gate Crash had some. Oh yeah, <laughs> had some Dragon's real maze. stinkers in there. Dragon's Maze. Uh, BFZ is pretty bad too. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty with garbage in it, but it's still one of those like you never know, and you know they're always paying the same for bulk, so. Might as well hang on to it. Um, every now and then, I just go back and fish out a couple cars worth 5 10 15 bucks, and you're like, okay, works for me. Bledsoe Champion comes out of KTK. Uh, I think that the bulk is going to open and replenish the market. So I think you want to sell your playsets oh, yeah. now for 12 to $16 and be happy on this particular card. Other cards in this deck, different story. Some, Not all of them are as plentiful. Um or as easy for the market to replenish. Kalidus, for instance, being a mythic from a smaller set, um, even though it's only a two of in the deck. Yeah, I would absolutely sell my Bugs of Champions here. There's way too many of those floating around that no one has wanted ever, and now suddenly the demand is going to drain every copy. Uh, I've looked at the deck a couple times now, and I, I, I mean, I don't see anything here. That has me excited. Maybe the ca- the castle, the the castle and the mutable, right? It's the mana base. The rest of this is and, and like uh, like maybe foil extended art rankles, but like yeah, smugglers copters. I'm I'm nervous about because I'm afraid they're going to get banned. The, the point is, Bloodstone Champion is not your. It's not going to be the card that holds value here. Yeah, that's not your ticket to the boon. Just take take no. the value that came out of nowhere and. And move right along. All right, so let's, uh, on that topic, though, since we're already talking about the mono black deck, uh, cards to watch. Cards we think are going to appreciate uh, sometime in the next year is usually our outlook. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to my second pick since it's on topic. Castle Lockthwain Extended Arts are out there still around $10 or $11. The card was <laughs> one of many, many cards in 2019 that people underestimated. Uh, it's a four of in the mono black deck. You are dropping all sorts of stuff into onto the board, and then they sweep you or whatever, and you've only got one card left in hand, and Lockwain lets you replay, like basically grind it out um, and not just get pinned down under control elements. And the extended arts foils are have stabilized and retraced a bit from some of their peaks, but a lot of them are draining to the point where there's basically nothing left. And all that says to me is that competitive players who will naturally prefer fancy looking non-foils to foils as we've said before um this stuff that looks like it's going to be 
a true staple in a competitive format. I, I see no reason to hold back. There, there's just there, there was this nonsense circulating about how the collector boosters got a reprint. They didn't get a reprint. They just reallocated some inventory that was probably from the original print run, but had been sitting around in the warehouse realized that demand had pretty much leveled off in the U.S., and they've only got so much time before they have to move on to the Theros collector boosters in early January. So they allocated it to Europe because Europe had not had been short-shrifted. A lot of the European vendors we tried to do deals with couldn't get enough inventory to fill our orders. Some could, but those were the really big, really, really big ones. Um, and so they dumped the inventory in Europe at plus 20%, mind you. So the distributor price was up 20% to vendors. Um, And what that says to me is, A, that inventory isn't landing in the U.S., it's landing elsewhere. And folks like, despite the fact that pro traders will suck some of it back out of Europe, (laughs) it's getting manufactured in the U.S., shipped to Europe, then from Europe back to the U.S. so that we can later sell it to somebody in France. Um, It's kind of ridiculous. Lockmain Extended Arts, or any Extended Art that's going to be a competitive staple four of ten dollars is the wrong price and things like faber elder have dropped down i think in japan you can get them for like three or four dollars now that might be a longer term play because it's mostly just an edh card and edh community notoriously takes a year or two to prop those things up but competitive cards is a whole different story i'm excited to see where these go and this is going to be our first real look at how the competitive market can support premium non-foil cards which for the most part haven't existed before i do think they'll do pretty well um and i think castle one is a decent one to go with um i wrote about castle garenbrig a couple weeks ago in my article and i you know i noted that all of them are really worth considering um, and with how well Black is looking right now in Pioneer, it certainly shores that up. The art is good. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have like dark edges on the art that sort of disappear. Like it really pops out of the card. So that helps for sure. Supply is, you know, is solid, but it's not deep, deep. Uh, most vendors, you know, especially in the $11 range, have only got one, maybe two copies. Um so you wouldn't have to see many of these drain before you're looking at uh, a, a, a decent price movement. And really, you know, the non the normal pack rare is like two fifty or three bucks. So you're not paying that much of a premium for the cool version, which is considerably rare. So uh, I think you know most of these are probably solid. Uh, Catholic Thwain. Today, probably the best one. Close to so it. There's only, tw- there's only 25 listings on TCG. As you said, nobody's really got a lot. Part of that's because you have to open like a high dollar value of product for these collector boosters to go fishing for this stuff. And you can get blown out. The EV, I opened, I opened four this week. I hadn't opened anything for myself in a while since basically opening Russian MH1 in the summer. So I got four relatively cheap. Popped those open this week. Did well, but like the the correct play was still to keep them sealed because hassle premium of actually flipping the top 20 cards out of these, even if I'm up 20%, I'm going to lose it on time spent. 
So sealed, they were still correct. And vendors know that. Like that the EV is roughly about what they're going to, if they crack it and wait six months versus sell it now minus whatever fees, they're better off just keeping them sealed. And it's hard to get duplicates. Like you're only getting one extended art per pack. There's only 12 packs in a box. The boxes are over $200. If you open four boxes like I did this week, you've blown through like $1,000 US and you end up with like, I might have had like two duplicates of two of the extended arts. Because keep in mind, there's one for every rare that's not a showcase. So 48 different options. So you have to, if you open four boxes, you in theory would get one of each on average, but it doesn't really quite work out that way. Um, and then you're only getting one, four foil e, uh, extended arts per box. So even if you open $1,000 worth, you only get 16 of those. Um, and they can't, they have a shot at being something else, like one of the borderless planeswalkers or whatever. So the, the math favors vendors not having very deep inventory on these. And the other thing about these that I like is you know some of them have edh demand or could be playable in modern but more to the point in terms of availability when you talk about something that's coming out of the mystery boosters we talked about how that goes straight from the draft table over to the buy list table whereas there is no sourcing of collector boosters on the floor at a gp other than the couple of random vendors that might have a box open where they're selling packs for 25 bucks you can't draft collector boosters and you don't probably can't win them without some excessive amount of prize tickets at a CFB event. So the vendors can only pick them up from, you know, Jimmy walks up, Jimmy opened a box last, you know, a month ago, he pulled out one Castle Lothrian EA, he dumps it on them. That's it. That's all he's got. And there might be two or three other people, you know, Sally and Billy show up later in the day and have the same kind of thing. But you're seeing how hard like Star City Games is having trouble replenishing their stock of these. And no major vendor seems to be very deep. And the vendors that do have some inventory are pricing them way above TCG low. Like I think on one of the other cards we'll talk about it in a second, I'll, I'll make a comparison with CK. But I, anyway, my call here is the official call is 11 to 18 for like a 60% gain. And I think you can get there in six months. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think those are all fair points. Um, okay, my first pick of the week, uh, you know, I was looking through Pioneer Result. Nothing jumped out at me. Not to say that you won't find anything, but I nothing, nothing really struck me as I was slipping through. But you know, I expect that to change week over week. If you go through that Pioneer League, that's five zero. I'm sure you can find some cards that look tasty. But I was focusing more on the challenge uh, with the and the PTQ with some actual places. Uh, so this week, I, you know, I took a turn and, and looking back at EDH a little bit um, because that's still you know. As, as fun it is, as it is for everyone to talk about Pioneer right now, and that's certainly where social media's attention is, uh, EDH is still driving all of the card sales. Um, and anyways, uh, first card of the week is, uh, now that I look at it, it feels familiar, and it's possible you picked this, I don't know, two months ago, and I just forgot, but Lifecrafters Bestiary? I feel like it's a year, uh, at least a year ago. A year ago? Okay. So foils out of Kaladesh are sitting around 650 right now. Um, you are looking at a grand total of 17 vendors on TCG player. Um, doesn't look like anyone has more than four, really. Uh, a couple onesies, a couple twosies. You know, if, and you can get a couple copies at 657 and then it's back up to $9 within, you know, two ish play sets or so. Uh, and it 
clocks in at 12,000 EDH rec lists, which is very good. It's one of the highest or one of the most common utility artifacts in uh, EDH. Again, according to EDH rec, as good as their data is. So uh, your low is low. The ramp is pretty solid. We know that it's a very popular card in EDH. I'm not holding out that this is going to show up in Pioneer or Modern, but uh, I think this is essentially a what we what what you would like to call a tipping point. I guess the one po- thing to point out is it's not from Kaladesh; it's from Aether Revolt. So it's a small set winter. Aether Revolt. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, uh, which matters. Uh, Kaladesh boxes are already pretty pricey, so it's not like that would hold you back. But certainly better to to be. You know, hanging your your spurs on a foil rear uh, from a smaller set. And while this could show up in Commander products this year, it doesn't seem like a high priority. And doesn't fit, the foils at least, don't fit in most of the options. So the market could easily drain the remaining 20 or 30 relevant copies to push this up into profitability land. And I'm pretty sure I've got a stack of these from maybe 18 months ago that would love for that to happen. Mm-hmm. So, so straightforward, easy. Cool. Um, all right. So backtrack to what was supposed to be my first pick. Uh, Corvold Fae Cursed King seems poised for greatness here. Um, even if it was just the most popular commander right now, which it is, um, and has been for a little while. That might be enough to be targeting the non-foil copies, because I'm sure most people have already forgotten the non-foil Corvolds are only available in the the collector boosters, and they show up in the ancillary slot. So they are that slot, when it coughs up uh, a Corvold, is just a nice little gift. It can also cough up an Arcane Signet. I picked out a Japanese Arcane Signet out of my Japanese collector booster box, um that was a nice one those are going to be exceedingly rare uh corvold also happens to be very well positioned in standard the deck was already competitive uh in the era of oko and now with the bannings the witches oven uh uh, cat corvold deck looks rock solid so if it holds position there and stays popular in edh the fact that you can only get the non-foils in the collector boosters means that their supply is essentially choked off within the next month or two. And then from then on out, good luck. Like, where are vendors going to get non-foil copies of Corvold? And this card just came out in the Brawl decks this fall, so it gets two full years in standard. What a weird card. This isn't... Is it? This isn't in Throne of Eldrain packs, is it? It's in the Brawl decks. It was a Brawl commander. Only the, yeah, only the Brawl decks, so not the packs. Only the Brawl decks and collector boosters. But the so Brawl deck, boosters. the Brawl deck version is foil, and the collector booster version is non-foil. Right, right, right. And I know the Brawl decks; they had a lot of trouble with inventory. Now they said uh, they said they are reprinting the Brawl decks, but yes. that's only, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. only foil copies. And right, right. And anybody who actually plays Commander knows that you don't actually want the necessarily want a foil copy of your Commander unless you're double or triple sleeving because it's going to curl and then it's going to be annoying all the time. Yeah, it's just such an odd scenario where you could actually have the non-foils if the card costs more than the foils. At the moment on TCG Player, if you sort by price and shipping, 
uh, non-foil is still shows up as cheaper, but only two copies. That'll be kind of funny if that flips. Um, yeah, given how impossibly difficult it is to find non-foils of this card, uh, that does seem pretty tempting. You'll pay about twelve fifty thirteen for the cheapest copy right now, and then you're at fifteen and sixteen within a playset or two. There, there, um, there was a Twitch if, rival. And, there was a Twitch rivals thing today, and I'm not sure. Like, we need to see how the metagame shifts for standard, and if this deck stays real. But it didn't lose any key components, so I think it probably stays real. I don't know if it's real against the emergent field, but I'm certainly going to be paying close attention to this over the next two to three weeks. And if it I'm not going to go super deep now. I'm just going to grab a handful. But I was happy to open them in collector boosters, and I'll be certainly looking for a reason to buy some more. Because even if it's a 6-12 month hold, it's just the supply is just going to get completely choked off. Well, given the standard changes, Cat Oven is going to be very good now per- I wouldn't be surprised if it's the best engine in standard or close to it. Um, it has a long time to be there. Uh, and Corvold looks real good in that deck. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a tempting place to be with standard demand, possibly doing some good work for him and the non foils. And then you still have the EDH train where he's been the most popular commander since the brawl decks came out. Um, and there are plenty of players who don't want foils. Uh, and given how rare those non-foils are, uh, things seem certainly seem well-positioned for him. I pulled the Japanese Corvold, too. I mean, <laughs> it's always tricky when the when there's a lot of words on the card in a foreign language. But still, that's going to be pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Because hmm. not only could you only get it in Japan, you could only get it in Japan collector boosters. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's worse than yeah. the Japanese of, War of the Spark stuff. Of which there are, I don't know, what, a couple thousand collector boosters, maybe? Japanese? Probably. Like 2,500, 3,000 would be my guess, something like that. Like, boxes. We're not talking boosters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what that works out to. Like, are there less than 100 Japanese non-foil corvolds? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. That slot is fairly limited, and everything's the same rarity in it. Like it doesn't doesn't matter if something's a common or a mythic. I think they have the same chance of showing up. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, um, I have to go back and double check the spreadsheet we built on that and see if that's true. Um, but yeah, I, I would guess that cert- no matter what, there are less than five thousand Japanese corvolds. Not well, for if there are, and it could be as low as five hundred. Yeah, if there are 3,000 Japanese collectors boxes, oh, then you have, how many packs is that? 12, 12 packs a box. Yeah, 12 times 2,500. So there'd be maybe 30,000 packs. So if Corvold shows up in 10% of the deck packs, you get 3,000. 3, that sounds, that in, in the two to 3,000 range sounds about right for those. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> and, and a lot of those are just yeah. going to, will never have left Japan. No, no, most likely not. Because trust me, vendors in North America were not carrying Japanese collector boosters. <laughs> Nobody has those. Yeah, I wouldn't expect you to get them. All right, your next pick? Uh, yeah, 
Uh, second card of the week, uh, browsing the uh, utility lands over on EDA Truck, I ran into Kessigul Fren, uh, the old Innistrad favorite, one of Pro Tour. Foils are seven bucks right now. Uh, you are looking at 10 vendors who have foil Kessig Wolf runs uh, for a grand total of like 20 copies, and half of those are owned by MTG Mint Card at 11 bucks a piece. Um, you pay seven bucks for the cheapest ones. Like I said, it is the, in the last two years, it is the fifth, fifth, number five most popular utility land uh, by. Percentage shows up in just under 20% of all decks that play red and green mana. So, uh, again, not a ser- terribly sexy card, but supply is quite low. It's very popular in um, EDH, and uh, I see this kind of tipping over towards the from the $7 to $15 range fairly soon. The only drag factor on this one is the FTV copy. Ugh, I wouldn't even... I, I know that it's there, and like I have trouble considering that a drag because that foiling is so bad and curls like crazy. Yeah, like I, I'm aware of the. I'm, when I'm always aware of those additions when I talk about cards like this, but they don't even really factor into my consideration because it's like you. Most people would probably rather just play with a non-foil than shell out for a really bad foil. I mean, people have to buy these though because otherwise they'd be pennies. Like the FTV foil holds a solid four dollars. And probably has been four to five dollars for years. A lot of dumb people play magic. <laughs> but yeah, but my point is that they if, if people are buying it and the price isn't collapsing, it it does indicate some amount of risk that people will pull this off the shelf, especially if the Innistrad foil gets to fifteen or twenty. You know, the, the higher that multiplier gets, original pack foil versus FTV, the more likely someone will scoop an FTV. Yeah, the FTV is 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 definitely a drag. Uh, because you're right, if, the, if it's 20 and 5, people are going to pay 5 bucks for that TV copy rather than 20 for the pack foil. But um, the, the pack foil is definitely the premium copy here. I just wish this was legal in Pioneer. Oh, then it would be. Oh, boy. Then it would be juicy. That would be juicy. Uh, unfortunately, it's one of those cards with a name that means it'll never get reprinted. Unless, of course, they go back to Innistrad, I suppose. But I don't see this being... This is the kind of card I feel like like Nykthos are not ever going to reprint in the standard. Um, yeah yeah i agree all right my final pick and and let it be known all three of my picks were non-foil thank you everybody was bitching last week that that we picked all foils um despite the picks being sexy uh so this week all non-foils including fabled passage extended art got down to a low of like 15 or 20 one of the extended arts that has not retraced to any significant degree and that you had a better shot at a month ago than you do today um, but I think 30 to 50 is is a lock now. This is the most important uh, card for Commander out of Eldraine proper. Arcane Signet out of the Brawl decks is the most important. Um, but it's in the Brawl decks, not the, not the proper packs. And these, of course, Extended Arts are only available on the Collector Boosters, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the foils are essentially sold out. There are only five listings left on TCG Player. So we're seeing... Um, the power of the commander community to drain uh, important foils faster um, than once was the case. And they're basically, you can't find them anywhere under $100. And if you do, I think they're a snap buy. Um, And the non-foils, you can still find relatively easily around $30, $32, get a coupon, get it for $26 to $28. 
and go ahead and load up on a playset and then watch what happens over the next little while. There could be some good deals heading into the holidays as people get cash poor for two months. Um, it's dead simple. This, this land's going to get played forever in Commander and Seize Play in Pioneer as well. And the combination of the two is driving this pretty high. Uh, yeah, I like <coughs> I like this. I was looking at it uh, a couple minutes ago. The non-foils are very appealing because you're going to see this in Commander. You're going to see this in Pioneer. You're going to see this in Modern. Um, it's, you're going to see it in Standard. It's got traction in a lot of different places. Uh, you know, it's the same deal as Castle Luxwain, where you have a premium non-foil card that I think looks quite good. Uh, so, thirty to fifty sounds pretty reasonable. I, I mean, the low right now on TCG is like thirty-two. Um, so you're not looking at a huge percentage gain, but you know, if you've got like store credit floating around, it does not seem like the worst thing to plow some of your store credit into knowing that it might not represent a humongous jump, although it could, uh, but it's going to be very solid. Like I would be surprised if this isn't a 50 or 50, maybe even $60 um, non-foil because you know, it is, it is pretty, pretty rare uh, and very popular. The other nice thing about this is if you're more collector than you are a speculator, um, it's going to be hard to get trapped on this card. Like if I'm calling this 30 to 50 and it gets to 50, but buy lists never get past 32 or 34, and you don't want to sell retail. This is a playset of these will be easy trade. The uh, yes, oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Looking at the stats for Pioneer on Goldfish, this is the eighth most played non-basic land in the format. Uh, two slots ahead of Castle Lockwain. <laughs> yeah, seventeen percent of all decks in the format run it, an average of two point seven copies. Nice, very nice, and it's all over Pioneer too. Well, that's the Pioneer stats. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about EDH. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good card. All right. So let's move on and uh, talk a little bit more about Pioneer. Uh, see if we can get our head on straight as to where this format's headed. We had the Star City Games Invitational this weekend, and uh, they had a mixed tournament. It was Modern and Pioneer. Pretty good. Pretty strong tournament overall. Um, it was one by a player i think in the top eight they played pioneer decks if i'm not mistaken um and it was won by chris barone who was playing mono black aggro which led to my pick this week it runs four castle lockthrain four mood of mutavault 15 swamps and one urborg tomb of yagmoth four four blood-soaked champion gutter bones four knight of the ebon legion four murderous rider four night market lookout three rankle master of pranks Scrap Heap Scroungers, Fatal Push, Thoughtseize, Smuggler's Copter. This is just ruthlessly efficient mono-black stuff. Yeah, and it really had quite the week on Moto as well. Um, I don't know if that was a result of just a lot of people jamming it after the Invitational or what, but um, there was a, a Moto challenge that it, it uh, took a lot of spots. So the deck is definitely legitimate. I don't know if it's temporary, but um, it's really pulling its weight in the format today. Yeah. The rest of the top eight was uh, two green devotion decks, which is the, the usual configurations post the banning of what did they lose two weeks ago? Uh, wait, which, which the, the, devo- the green devotion, devotion green Val summer. 
Uh, no, they lost a creature, didn't they? Uh, well, they lost Leyline of Abundance and Othanissa, and now Vale Summer. Right, right, right. Okay, so now they're running. They found room uh, to fill up the missing slots for Jade Light Ranger doing work, going to Value Town, the double explore triggers. And it looks like they've upped their count of scavenging uses. And I mean, I think Once Upon a Time is on the chopping block here, and Nykthos still seems dangerous. This whole deck seems at risk. So everything related to it, I'm just, I would be happy to just unload. Yeah, I, 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 this deck does seem like it's asking for a, to get hit again. I don't know what it's going to be, but it just keeps, you know, despite having lost all those tools, it's still putting up some very good numbers. And the thing is, is they can ban, I don't know, Burning Tree Emissary, whatever, and still have Nykthos be a part of the format, which they would be okay with, with Theros on the horizon. You know, they don't have to ban Nykthos. They can ban another green card. But that's quite a concession. Now, if they if they have another Nykthos-style card in Theros, they might want to get rid of Nykthos because having two of those in Pioneer might be too much. I could see that as well. They also might be leaving it alone because they're planning on getting rid of... Maybe they're thinking they're going to get rid of Once Upon a Time anyways. But if this deck gets rid of Once Upon a Time, that like impacts a lot of the format. So it seems weird like that they would rely on that taking care of the deck. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to read their minds here, but uh, I don't like the odds that Devotion the Green as it exists today is all legal by the time we hit 2020. Kyle Lopez went on record this week, uh, ex of other games now with MTG Deals, um, calling Nykthos the Mishra's Workshop of the format and basically saying they will they will do anything and everything not to ban that card. Um, uh, it would be pretty funny if it, it was indeed in Theros. Uh, yeah, it seems so odd that they would do that, you know, especially if Theros is a one set. It's a, you know, it's a one set block, basically. It's not like Ravnica where we got three in a row. It would, it would explain uh, a lot about the way that they're handling this deck because you definitely don't want to pre-ban a card. No. No, that's for sure. Hmm. Well, we'll see. In fact, I, uh, in fact, I don't think that's ever happened. I, I don't think there's ever been a reprint in Standard that was banned in a other format. Nope, can't think of anything. Uh, yeah, I'd have to go back and look through the history of the bands. Yeah, nothing comes know. to mind. Uh, there was also a fourth place here was a Gruul aggro deck. This is pretty interesting. This is uh, Elvish Mystic, Gore Clan Rampager, Goblin Rabble Master, Legion War Boss, Llanowar Elves, Lovestruck Beast, and Questing Beast. Uh, four Once Upon a Time, four Wild Slash, two Embercleave, Smuggler's Copter. Underscores your point about how Once Upon a Time is so ubiquitous in the format that it chops the power level down across the board. And you'd, you'd be wanting to be looking at the decks like Mono Black that don't care at all. <laughs> Where the only thing in that deck that he's even remotely likely to take a hit would be Smuggler's Copter. If Smuggler's Copter was warping the format. Which it... I'm pretty low on a Copter ban, to be honest, because even though it's one of the top five most plays, played cards in the format, it's not like it's hard to deal with. There's, there's plenty of efficient removal that can get rid of Smuggler's Copter if you needed to 
Yeah, I mean, the Wizards, yeah, I don't know what to think here. And I have a stack. I still haven't listed them. I don't know what to think. You're getting 9-ish, 9 to 10 for them on TCG right now. I don't know. It's one of those things where I don't think it's like oppressing the format. It's not too powerful, but they might decide that it's too playable in too many decks. Like, okay, every time you build a deck that's planning on attacking with creatures, you're playing Smuggler's Copter, and it doesn't matter what color you are. You know, it'd be one thing if it was like, I don't know if love struck beast was in every single green deck that wanted to attack, because that would mean that the black decks can still exist and aren't playing love struck beast. But the fact that smugglers copter is like, no, if you're turning creatures sideways then you're playing this card, it doesn't instill me with the greatest of confidence, but, but, but I don't know. Might be fine. Here's a deck. It certainly doesn't seem like the biggest problem in the format at the moment. Cause once upon a time is just ruining things. Here's a deck that's not playing it in fifth place. The uh, Field of the Dead, aforementioned. 30 lands in this deck, and then it runs 4 Arboreal Grazer, 4 Elvish Rejuvenator. as a pick of mine from Summer Core set. Zorius Charm, 4 Growth Spiral, 4 Hour of Promise that we talked about earlier. A Settle the Wreckage, 3 Sphinx's Revelation. Huh. 3 Sphinx's Revelation. Go figure. 4 Supreme Verdict, mm-hmm. 3 Oko, 1 Teferi, and 1 Ugin. Uh, Spirit Dragon. Uh... Sure, that's nasty to play against, and it seemed to drag out games left, right, and center when I saw it on camera. If I had to pick three archetypes that were defining Pioneer today, it would be Mono Black Aggro, Green Devotion, and Field of the Dead. Sure. Seemed to be the the three decks. Uh, I, I went looking for a Boreal Grazer, which you could consider a pick, actually. It's like 4 to $5 for the foils right now. Um and the supply is actually quite shallow. Uh, I am have trouble picking in-print common foils, but the card is doing some real work and could be a major part of Pioneer for quite some time. Um, getting to put, you know, one drop that gets to put a land from your hand in the play, it's not, like... It's probably worse than like a Lana War Elves, but maybe not. I mean, it does. You know, Lana War Elves doesn't use up another card in your hand, but additional lands in play is more valuable. Like that doesn't get bolted, and also it lets you put like a dual land in the play, um, where you know where Lana War Elves doesn't do that for you. And the nice thing about Arboreal Grazer is it does play some defense early on, so it's going to gain you. I mean, realistically, probably four to eight life points a game against aggro decks which is pretty solid compared to a land war elf so a royal grazer could become a pretty major part of pioneer and I, you're never going to ban that card and there's always going to be some big mana strategy in the format so i don't know just a thought that that might be something to to look at in the future hmm. uh green black aggro was in sixth place here. This is two Corsa Crufix, four Grim Flayer Ishkana. Haven't seen that name in a while. One Kalidus Trader of Get, two Murderous Rider, Noxious Gearhulk, Scavenging Ooze, two Tireless Tracker, Walking Ballista, and then a host of green and black spells you would expect. This is, you know, just green, black, good stuff. Very rocky. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing terribly exciting here. Just fine enough. Green, black, hardened scales featuring. Uh, my recent pick, Stone Coil Serpent. And this, I, w- I wonder if this deck survives a Once Upon a Time ban. I think it does, because Once Upon a Time just adds consistency to it, but so many other decks get hit. And 
the actual core synergistic portion of the deck is not affected at all. Once upon a time is just, you know, gravy. Um, and then blue. Yeah, it doesn't get your hardened scale. So like, I, I can't imagine once upon a time neutering the deck. If it got hardened scales, I could see it because maybe it was only good because you now had so many ways to get hardened scales. But without it, it's like, eh. Doesn't change that vector of the deck. Yeah. Uh, blue red aggro also running for stone coil serpent. Now that's interesting because if both the is it you know five damage deck shrapnel blast and soul artifact and hardened scales stick around in the format and they're both running stone coil serpents, then all versions of serpent are probably on the on the menu. The card was very underwhelming at first glance, but it is. Not a bad card. You know, two mana for a 2-2 with Reach Trample and Pro Multicolor. You know, it doesn't die to Assassin's Trophy or Abrupt Decay. Can't be targeted by Oko or Teferi. Yeah, it's a mana sink. Plays well with counters. It's one of those cards that just, like, has just enough words on it where, like, everyone seems to have a reason to want it. Yep. Um, all right, so switching over to the other Pioneer t- tournament, just to take a quick look at it. This was the MTGO Pioneer PTQ a few days back on the 16th. So Friday? No, Saturday. Um, and it was won by Bant Ramp Field of the Dead. Then Devotion of Green, Mono Black Aggro, Teamer Aggro uh, was in fourth place. This was running, had two Royal Scions, Heart of Kirin, three Chandra, Torch of Defiance, uh, and four Glorybringer, uh, and four Bonecrusher Giant. I've got my eye on both Murderous Rider and Bonecrusher Giant, and I suspect they will end up on a pick list sooner rather than later. Um, it looks like, I, I would guess that both of those cards don't survive three to four years in Pioneer, but could probably be staples for one to two years, and at the same time be staples in Standard. And if they're double, it, we haven't had this situation before where most cards that were good in standard were not good enough for modern. So running two parallel formats, if both formats are relatively popular, means double potentially doubling up on the drain. If you're playing a one deck in Pioneer and one deck in Standard and they don't share the cards, then you've got to buy two decks. And if you need if Murderous Rider and Bonecrusher Giant are needed in both fi- formats simultaneously, that is a significantly higher demand profile than we would be used to for standard level cards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's unique. We haven't seen that before. So um this is an interesting deck. Azorius Aggro was next on the list. Uh this is the one that's running Archangel Avacyn, three copies, four Brazen Borrower, two Charming Prince, four Reflector Mage. Four Spell Queller, four Thraben Inspector, two Deckenstone, four Gideon Ally of Zendikar, four Smuggler's Copter, and four Teferi Time Raveler. It's like pulling a bunch of like mid-range elements for, that were really good in their respective standard formats and just jamming them together. Yeah, this list keeps popping up. It doesn't really do it for me, but I get it. The four Thraben Inspector, I think, is the funniest card, but... It's it, it's getting by. I keep seeing it show up and up and up. Charming Prince, I noticed, making an appearance here. He might become a uh, a pretty significant part of this format down the road. Although without enough humans to support a full tribal, 
angle. I'm not sure. The thing is, he doesn't really care about humans in other formats. Like his his synergies are not based on being a human. No, no. I mean, his his potency here has nothing to do with his tribal type. Correct. But he loses that possible angle in Pioneer, where in Modern, him being a human is relevant. Yep. Because because the human's deck is has a slot form and is currently running two copies. The um, yeah. I opened both Japanese foil and English foil. Uh, extended art versions of Charming Prince, so I'm locked and loaded if this card gets there. I have, uh, yeah, I have Japanese extended arts. Nice. Japanese foil extended arts That's... that were like really cheap. I think they're like 15 or 20 bucks or something. I, I realized looking over my order from Haryuya a month ago that I was early. The deal, the, the time to be buying extended art, Japanese extended arts is right now. They're, they're really cheap. Um, or at least they were mm-hmm. last time I looked. Some of the stuff that I bought was like is down 30% in Japan since I first bought it. So we will know for next time to the Theros uh, stuff that we can probably wait a little while, at least on the stuff that's not super obviously, uh, you know, missed like multi-format competitive staples. Right, 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 right. No Japanese foil charming princes. Japanese, God, no extended art Japanese foil charming princes. Left on TCG on right now on TCG on TCG on TCG on TCG yeah well I mean again nobody in North America has any of that inventory other than Ed so. right <laughs> so no surprise yeah all right so I mean Pioneer is looks robust uh, doesn't seem like something like Oko is demanding an instant ban or anything um, you know to Mangushi's point so. We'll see how it goes. Let's let's see. Let them leave. Look, sounds like they want to leave it alone for a couple weeks, and so does everybody else. So it's going to get a lit, a moment to breathe here, and we'll see how the format sorts itself out. Um, so for segment four, just mm-hmm. a quick note. Really, had a busy last couple months, so we're going to take it easy this week. Just wanted a couple make make a couple points about what I would refer to as ban culture. And what I mean by that is that in the way that Wizards handled the ban announcements this week, and just to refresh people's memory in case they weren't paying attention, what went down is that the long-awaited banning of Oko, Thief of Crowns, and Standard took place. They also banned Once Upon a Time and Veil of Summer. So the full mea culpa that they made green too powerful. Um, Brawl also caught an Oko Thief of Crowns ban, and Renan 6 got banned in Legacy, which certainly uh, kicks the Modern Horizons people in the nuts a little harder. <laughs> Pretty glad I got out of my Renan 6s when they had already peaked. Um, one of the lessons I have learned from situations where cards spike hard and early is that you just go ahead and take the exit. Um, though, in the same breath, I have to admit that I'm still holding... Uh, foil extended art okos Hmm, yeah i've got a couple of those i don't feel i mean the timeline on those shifted uh he's still the best planeswalker ever printed um the standard band isn't my favorite but i'm holding out hope that you know those foil extended arts climb back north once theros isn't being you know once theros ages it just puts that card on a you know maybe a two or three year horizon rather than three months um, it, if he becomes the Liliana of the Veil of Pioneer, then they're going to be juicy. Yeah, 
those those should be 250 to 300 at some point yeah i also got caught out on horizons a little bit because i had ordered in fact some urzas and um mox opal inventions like two weeks before the pioneer announcement because horizons looked so good and i had the store credit and then they announced that and it's like ugh. Ugh. Well, as, as <laughs> someone that cracked, as someone that cracked something like three thousand dollars worth of Russian MH1, <laughs> uh, I'm happy that I got out of a solid chunk of it, but it remains to be seen where things will land in a six, twelve, eighteen month horizon for that set. It's still so chock full of great cards, but if they just let Modern fade out of existence and basically you know, if 2021 only has two big modern tournaments on the GP circuit and they shift mostly to Pioneer for that, you know, the long-term competitive format, then I think a lot, it's going to go down in history as one of the biggest slights against Magic players because Wizards knew about Pioneer when they were marketing the shit out of Modern Horizons Mm -hmm. and still made a choice to make that set an open print run for a year. In theory. Now, realistically, I'm pretty sure the printing presses are shut down on Modern Horizons. But in theory, it could be reprinted any time between now and It does feel like we got hammered uh, with the way that they printed Modern Horizons like they're going to come back and be like, Oh, well we gave you guys one last hurrah and made modern exciting before we let pioneer take over. It's like, (laughs) or you got everyone to spend all this money on modern horizons because they were excited about the future of the format. And then essentially invalidated the entire format two months later, especially if you pull your tinfoil hat on extra tight and think, think and consider that things like Hogak and Urza were basically just ill considered because they knew they didn't have to. Like, why play test something super hard if you're not interested in defending the format? Yeah. Like you, no. can make, you, can make the, you can make the argument that undercutting the success of Modern is part of launching Pioneer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite. Not my favorite here in how this went. But. Uh, Narset Parter avails. Restricted and vintage. Mm-hmm. Or the Spark. Too strong yeah, for I, I mean, Black Lotus. you know... Mm. Vintage is a weird format, so like some cards end up on that restricted list that don't seem like they deserve that treatment, but because of the way Vintage plays, they end up much more powerful than they would be. Yeah, so the result of all of that is that we've had Hogak banned, Field of the Dead banned uh, in Standard. We've got three new bands here. We've got Vintage catching a restriction, which almost never happens. Um, and Oko being banned in Brawl. We've had multiple bannings in Pioneer already. I mean, we're just, we're segueing, and it used to be a big deal if something had to be banned. People were real pissy about it, and it's not like they're less pissy now, but they're starting to pull the Trump trick where you just hit people over the head so hard and so often that it all just kind of blurs together. There, There's an argument to be made that if bans become a regular thing, that they just become part of the culture. And you have to start considering what how MTG Finance looks in a situation where nobody is super certain that their cards are going to be playable next month. 
I, I feel like Wizards knows that overall they're already pretty close to the edge of what is permissible um, without fully chilling the market. Um, but you can already see it in the way that like the the way pricing is moving on Oko. If Oko is modern, is is legal in Pioneer and modern in EDH and Legacy for years, then his price should be sky high. Look at back at wherever the, his peak was on the graph in the last month, and that's where he should be because the card is a, is a mega staple. But because people are still fearing additional bans, nobody's 100% sure it's not getting banned in Pioneer. Nobody's 100% sure that it won't eventually get banned in Modern. There's been talk about uh, Oko being the reason that Urza, the Urza deck is so good, that like minus Oko, that deck is fine in the format because it just gives them a completely different angle of attack. They can basically, if they get Oko on the table, they can just play the Oko game. And while you're trying to deal with manage that situation, they just eventually just draw into their combo and go off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, people are buying less Modern Horizons cards. They're buying less Eldrain cards. Vendors have complained to me that Eldrain hasn't sold that well, like that the long tail, you know, every set sells the best in the first month and then trails off pretty steeply. We've talked about that in the past, but it, Eldrain trailed off faster and harder and you know the set is full of mega staples i was actually considering the other day whether eldrain boxes if they don't sell that well like say it say i think eldrain still sold well in the grand scheme of magic but let's say that it's 20 percent below expectations even if it's 15 percent, that means that there is less product in the market maybe it's closer to the you know the total number of okos is closer to a planeswalker that will be printed in theros than it would be otherwise. Um, and I've been, I'm actually wondering whether collector booster boxes for Eldrain will end up being $400 plus in two years. On the back of, there actually being tons and tons of relevant cards in Throne of Eldrain. Like way more than people have given it credit for. There's like our, our mod in our Discord, um, was saying the other day that he he still thinks Throne of Eldraine is very top heavy. That it has like five amazing cards, and the rest of the set wasn't that great. I disagree. I think I think it's actually quite a quite a deep set, very similar to War of the Spark. Um, that has an extreme like has an extreme power level in the top five cards, like Oko and Once Upon a Time being the most notable. Um, but there, it's much deeper than people have given it credit for. Things like Stone Coil Serpent, like all five castles. Um, some of those night cards are actually look pretty suspicious to me. Like there's so much night stuff now <laughs> that feels like there could easily be a night aggro deck at some point. Um, and there's a whole bunch of EDH stuff in there. You got the Fabled Passage. Um, you know, you've got the you got Embercleave and the Cycle of Mythic Artifacts, um, all of which have potential. Um, in Commander and beyond. It's a pretty deep set. And I wouldn't be surprised to see boxes of Eldraine turn out like Kaladesh. Kaladesh has masterpieces in it that Eldraine doesn't have. But I think Eldraine is a deeper set. I think that Eldraine is probably somewhere between top-heavy and very deep. I think it's more than just, you know, five cards. 
But at the same time, I don't know if it's quite like War of the Spark, but I do, you know, the the castles definitely jump to mind, you know, um, Fires right of out the of bench. the bat. Mm-hmm. Fire, yeah, yeah. And I'd have to go back and look at the spoiler, and I, I'm, I'm pro- would probably Emory. land. Yeah, I like the more the more I look through the spoiler, the more I'm gonna feel like I'm like, no, this is deeper than it looks. Rather than it, it's not gonna get shallower when I look into it. Royal uh, Scions is seeing play in both Pioneer and Modern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the you know on this greater point, you know, do these bands what are the, what are the, what does it mean for Magic when that becomes standard fare? Uh, I mean, we know that that happens in other card games. I don't know. I feel like it. There's a long road between where we are and what that looks like in other worlds. You know, Yu-Gi-Oh and things of that nature. So there's definitely room for it to get. You know, for a better, for lack of a better word, worse here before we start to emulate those systems entirely. And really, Wizards has a lot of data on this one that we don't. Um. I mean, we know that FNM attendance definitely drops off when formats get stale and unfun. Uh, that's generally the reason they ban cards because tournament attendance suffers. Um, so they so they change things. And you know, I have a sneaking suspicion that for whatever hand wringing we're exposed to, I think players like the bans overall. And I think Wizards is kind of saying, you know what, if we if we turn the dial up on standard sets, it lets people get, you know, it's going to get people excited and they're going to go buy the cards because it's going to make changes. And then when we, if we eventually have to ban cards, like, you know, if we're banning one to four, what let's say one to five cards a year across all formats, maybe this year was a little higher than they were shooting for. Cause right. Like the average year, the number of bans in like, relatively low. Yeah, it's like zero. It's like zero in standard and modern. Like there were years where it was like zero to one. Um, so you know, if if they cranked it up to five, they might say, "Well, that's that's a little bit more. It's not enough that people are going to get too upset about it." Like p- people, they they the card comes out, everyone gets excited. It's a big deal. It gets annoying. No one likes it anymore. We ban it. They're happy we banned it. So we got to sell them the card and then take away the value, the utility of the card and make them buy other cards. I, I don't know. Right, so, I, I, just, so, so I, just, theory, I just wonder about it. So your theory, so your theory it. is that, the, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that the counter pressure of Magic players loving new formats to solve overcomes the chilling effect of the uncertainty of their cards no longer being playable. Yeah, I, I'm saying that the uncertainty of their cards no longer being playable, I'm not even sure how much of a chilling effect that is. And on top of that, that the oh standards new and exciting again adds additional excitement and 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 the whole package is occasional like maybe two, one to two bands a year in standard ultimately sell wizards more cards and makes gives people a, an overall more exciting or more happy rate rate with standard and with magic in general things are happening it's kind of hard because this year has had so many things going on from so many different angles. The wild expansion of premium products to the product mix, um, the increase of foils by 50% in standard boosters as of the summer, um, the launching of Modern Horizons, and then the pulling away of from Modern and the surprise announcement on Pioneer, um, the collector booster boxes, the Mythic editions, 
there's been a lot of kind of a, there's been a relentless hype cycle an increase in the amount of money they're trying to pull out of the pockets of magic players simultaneously alongside an increase in uncertainty in terms of which cards will be playable in which formats and i think that i buy into your argument so long as something like oko gets banned in just one format I think the more times you have a situation like Field of the Dead, Oko, or Once Upon a Time, where you have to ban it in two or more formats, I think you're getting into a red zone. Because you're under... If, the, if say, three of the best cards in Eldraine are not playable anywhere of significance, then it really... It must have a chilling effect on how many packs people are willing to buy. You know, a guy, in, a vendor we deal with in Europe was talking to me this morning, was talking, saying something along the lines of, like, Modern Horizons boxes had fallen off a cliff after the uh, Renan 6 ban and coming what? on the heels of the Pioneer announcement. What? Wait, after the Renan 6 ban? The Renan 6 ban was, like, two days ago. Yeah, but but they these guys sell a lot of boxes. So they can, they per their boxes per day just basically stopped. Okay. Because Renan 6 is the best card in the set, was his argument. Now, I think it's probably more, you know, the, the prevailing tr- headwinds of Pioneer pushing against Modern that's catching up to and continuing to chill Modern prices. Like, for instance, we haven't seen a Modern card take off on our weekly scan of Fast Movers in weeks. Yeah, I, Where, I'm... Whereas Whereas prior to the Pioneer announcement, that was our whole life. Like EDH and Modern was everything for the first two thirds of the year. Yeah, and EDH, Modern, and EDH were all I ever really look at. And as soon as they said Pioneer is a real format, is is a format, uh, I basically vowed to never click a Modern link again. Like it's just, just like I don't care. None of this matters anymore because no one is excited about this any longer. Well, and the market has to prove it to us. You and I have no reason to care about modern cards until we see a modern card move. The, the, the only modern cards that matter now are the ones that overlap with Pioneer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because then it's the same thing we said five years ago. If there was a card that was good in both leg- like modern and legacy simultaneously, then we would be talking about it's got some extra juice from legacy. Yeah. You know, a few months ago, Renan 6 could be said to have had extra juice from legacy but now <laughs> banded legacy modern on the way out like where's Renan six even going to get played yeah yeah that's that's bad news for that card i i i, I guess my impression of all of this you know maybe maybe if you have a year over year compounding effect where you've got four bands and you know you've got however many bands we had in 2019 then you've got five or six more total in 2020 then you've got five or six more in 2021 maybe that adds up and after a couple of years of that you start to have kind of fatigue and people are like okay well this is this is the third time we have seen another version of oko printed and yes he's the best card in standard which means it's going to get banned so like i don't even want to buy it i will just wait until that one gets banned and then see what's good in standard because players come to expect that as a cycle i could see that you know the funny thing is let's say that they screwed up so hard that they actually scared away 15% of all Magic players. And so sales dropped by 15%, roughly. Um, 
<laughs> that just sh- sets up a new lore Renera, right? Because you don't think it's the death of the brand. Like they're not going to ban themselves into oblivion. They're going to correct course and then offer up some solutions if that was to happen. And the reason that they're not already offering up, like say a play, I, I was talking about on Twitter this morning about a player rewards program being brought back where if your cards get banned, then you can, it earns you points inside some kind of system that leads to promos and like cheaper event entry fees and whatever else. We've been talking about this for years. Um, and it still stuns me that they don't have an app driven thing that ties the entire ecosystem together because it's worth so much to them to have that big data perspective, what you're buying and where, what decks you're playing and which events you're attending and how far you're traveling to play. Tying that all together is so, so valuable that it stuns me that they don't invest the money into it. Um, but in the absence of that, you know, if they go far, too far down the road and push players away, then it just it turns into this buying opportunity for the finance community because whatever gets released during that period just becomes extra rare two years later. When they're uh, actually correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking back on all the times that I played, you know, when I played, I'm going to say competitive magic, I don't know how competitive it was, but I think, uh, by a side note, BDM said he wants to change the language from competitive and casual to aspirational and social, which. Aspirational? Yeah, which I don't, I think aspirational please. Right, right. I think aspirational is the wrong word, but I think he's got the sentiment right. Um, in any case, when I was an aspirational Magic player, uh, I really didn't hear anyone complain about their cards getting banned. Like, it, it didn't happen a lot, but people were never really like angry about it. They would be way more annoyed that the format sucked. But then if their if their cards got banned, they're just like, yeah. I kind of saw it coming. We knew it. Well, it but, well, but if it happens over and over again, here's then the it's thing. another a lot, story. A lot of the grinders and pros borrow cards, so what the fuck do they care? Mm-hmm. And and the guys at your LGS that are playing every week are very invested. Like, and it depends where you live. Like, small town Oklahoma is different than Toronto. But here, you know, if you go down to face-to-face, brand new, beautiful facility, can seat 150 or whatever, and it's, you know, lawyers, doctors, engineers teachers that make 80,000 a year whatever walking in the door there's a lot of you know mid to high income earners playing in that scene for them to lose you know not be able to play okos in one format is not a huge hit to the pocketbook but if you're a like 16 year old kid in Oklahoma and you literally saved up your paper route money to buy your okos and the only format you play is standard then that's a different story well i'm not saying that there aren't people that are impacted i think that the net impact on players having their cards banned is not as dramatic as it social media may lead us to believe sure i I think that's true but there's a there's also the fact that if you buy into the whole thing about them pushing premium products because they realize that what really matter really matters is the whales then it's no surprise like a whale cares so much less about a banning Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Like I don't care. I've I've got a hundred and fifty thousand dollar magic collection. Like, <laughs> and I don't have time to play most of it. So whatever you ban is irrelevant to me. And I still, and I cracked a thousand dollars in product yesterday. So, 
what matters more, whether I keep buying the thousand dollars of product every few weeks or what 40 kids in small town, Oklahoma think. Yep. Yep. And, and that's not the way I want to manage a community if it's my choice. But the financial reality is that the only thing that is going to turn wizard's head here is if it hits them in the pocketbook. If Eldraine does sell poorly, it it will signal and and Theros sells similarly poorly because the issues continue. Like one of the theories here is that Theros and Ikoria are equally juiced. Like what you saw start in pretty much War of the Spark is going to continue on for the rest of 2020. Oh, yeah, by the way, you I, you had floated that idea a couple of weeks ago. And um, that article that they posted yesterday is essentially a tacit, yeah, a tacit implication or a tacit acknowledgement that that's true. And Ari Lax walked away with the exact same um, impression. He, he commented, he's like, yeah, so I read this and uh, it's really concerning because it just sounds like we have two to three more <laughs> uh, crazy sets. Th- throne of all drains in the pipeline. Um, so I think we are definitely in line for another wild year in 2020. For well, I mean, sure. We've already seen, we've already seen the Elspeth from Theros and it was odd. Uh, nobody's really publicly acknowledging the card, so I won't get into the details here, but it struck me that if all the planeswalkers in that set are like the Elspeth, <laughs> they will probably be misread on first contact as per usual. And certainly one of the things that has helped MTG Finance have such a robust year has been the relentless uh, misassigning of power level to cards. So many of the cards that ended up being problems, people did not spot because they're not super obvious cards. Like Oko was an incredibly unique design for a Planeswalker. And because it didn't align with people's expectations of what a powerful Planeswalker looks like, people assumed it was garbage and got it completely wrong. Uh, I would bet that the escape fun- escape function on Elspeth, and I'm assuming she's the only planeswalker with it, is going to actually be very, very potent because it means you can't get rid of her. Like you, you think it's the only one? Yes, I think it's the only planeswalker with escape because they print what like two to three maybe three planeswalkers per set but like how many the escape mechanic on her is clearly elspeth escaping the underworld so how many planeswalkers are escaping the underworld i think that's her gimmick and the other two are normal planeswalkers but i think that that people are going to get the escape wrong like I, I think that it's gonna be way better than people think because i also looked at elspeth and was like this isn't very good and then I'm like, well, but I just get to make two humans and then make two humans and then maybe she's dead or maybe I powered them up once and, and then I just cast her again. Like I can just keep doing this. That's that's correct. Like because <laughs> I thought I thought the escape was a one time trigger. And then I noticed so I saw people talk about it on Twitter. I'm like, I went back and read. It. I'm like, oh, you just keep yeah. doing this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> which is, okay. which is a really which is a really funny ability to be embracing in an era of people being pissed off about broken planeswalkers like because, first of all because if because if the card is of a very high power level like if you if you have a murderous rider you can still kill an oka and they probably mm-hmm. got some value on you but it's dead now they've got mm-hmm. to draw another oka and there's no bring oko back that's getting played in any format of relevance yeah um but 
Elspeth's son's champion, for instance, talk about it in the context of a card that is not a spoiler, um, was a very busted magic card in the late game <laughs> for anybody who had to play against that from Theros. Like, if you got to the late game and you didn't have a good answer for it, you were dead. And if you manage to draw the card that killed it and then they just exile four cards and recast it again the next turn and they've still got a backup copy in hand, oh boy. Yeah, look at Elspeth's son's nemesis. And I'm not going to read the abilities, but this card thwarts aggressive decks because you... yeah, God, you know what? This is on Mythic Spoiler. I feel like I should be able to talk about this. Yeah, it's on Mythic Spoiler. Okay, fuck it. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. So Elspeth has... Against aggressive decks, she makes tokens and gains life and then comes back and does it again. So she's a very good chilling effect against aggressive strategies because you get blockers and life. And against control decks, it keeps creating bodies. And if they counter speller, you get to cast her again. So it both bl- it, it is good against aggro decks and it is good against control decks who want to counter it. The only way to effectively remove this from play is banishing light, which is getting reprinted in the set. But that's only one card. So it's going to be, and and it grinds out mid-range decks, right? Like you just keep making bodies. So the fact that you just get to keep bringing this back seems like it's going to be well-positioned against most strategies, except those that seek to just go way over the top. It's interesting that her minus three is gain five. In what sense? Because gain five is such a shitty ability generally. Mm. But in the context of, of having escape, it might have been that that started out as the minus one, and then later they were like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> if you do that, then the late game is just recast Elspeth, gain five life, recast Elspeth, gain five life. And it, it turns into a elixir of immortality type scenario for the control deck. Oh, that'd be disgusting. If that was like a minus one and you had protection for it. Yeah. You'd be like, I'm going to gain five life and gain five life and gain five life and gain five yeah. life and bring it back and gain five life and be like, okay, so no one can ever win in the red zone ever. Yeah. yeah. So but the, the point being, I, 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 dialing this back to where we were before, yes, uh, there are definitely going to be cards that are going to get missed that are going to spike real hard, I guess. I have a tangential because, point. Be, because we turned the power level up on standard, but we haven't figured out which cards the power level got turned up on yet. That's where we were. I've heard bitching from vendors that sales have been challenged. We've seen a shit ton of sales. Uh, Channel Fireball, for instance, had a sale like every day for like three weeks. That was always like one day only (laughs) of a variety of different shapes and sizes. It suggested standard was heavily challenged this fall. Um, So I'm curious to see how things develop. I think that magic can can and has overcome problems, short-term problems, many, 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 many times. And, you know, as much as Modern Horizons sucks for those of us holding a bunch of it, we had our chance to make some money. And players are super excited about Pioneer, and ultimately the community being excited about a format is more important than anything that happens in the finance sphere, because it keeps the finance rolling down the road. Like, we expect to win some and lose some. It's not what bothers me. What would scare me would be the collapse of a game. Um, otherwise I just, I know that they're, they're constant iterating on their product development formula will continue to open up doors and opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, here's a thought, stray thought from, uh, thinking about Theros all of a sudden, uh, collector boosters for Theros and Ikoria. I'm assuming 
Theros Beyond Death is a smaller set? Mm, I don't think they do those anymore, do they? Is everything just a normal size set now? I thought so. I haven't okay. gone back and looked. I haven't looked at the Wikipedia that's, to look. That's that's a relevant point, because if that's true, my point's null and void. But if it was a smaller set, the extent the collector boosters would have a much higher percentage would have less rares to dip into. So there'd be you would get be getting more duplicates. So inventory would end up deeper. The, the smaller the set is, the deeper the inventory on the extended arts is going to be. Is the bottom line. 59, 269, uh, 259, 264. Yeah, there are no longer. The set sizes vary, but it's like 250 to 270. There are no small sets, it seems. Yeah. Okay. So then that point's uh, moot, but worth pointing out anyway, in case anyone else was thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, but they did they did, sh- they did shrink the fall sets for what that's worth. Right. By a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, the old fall sets were like 360 cards, I think. They were big. No, that sounds high. Two, 295. The original Zendikar. I guess the original Zendikar was 250. I swear one of them was. was well, I was large. actually I was actually wondering two things about Ikoria. <laughs> for, uh one whether that set is big Mm. like bigger than usual on purpose which i think is an interesting thing they've never tried before like give us a 400 card set why not they did it was time spiral Mm, yes sort of (laughs) because of the time shifted cards time shifted cards were playable in standard though like i'm talking about cards into standard were they 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 oh yeah Yeah, there was just an article. Uh, well, the article about this recirculated again. Yeah, the time cards were all right? They didn't. Wasn't it tricky? Like nothing in there really made any difference. Well, the the again the article that just got floated again recently was they originally had some busted cards in the time shift, and then when they decided they were standard legal, they went back, trimmed it way back, and then started adding the stuff back. So I don't know what the standard looked like at that time so i don't know which time shifted cards were playable and which ones weren't or if they, any of them had a big impact but uh i mean they definitely intended for them to have an impact on standard whether or not they missed the mark i don't remember okay so anyway i'm wondering whether they'll do a baker set um and then the other thing i'm wondering about is whether they're going to give us big furry monster cards you know that um, un- unglued card that's like you have two cards to make a bigger creature yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, my guess is that it's some permutation on what we saw in Eldritch Moon. Seems sure. like the most reasonable way to do it, where it's possible. Having, having mm-hmm. deja vu. Did we talk about this last week? Uh, it might have come up in some capacity. Seems like it would have. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll uh, store the rest of that idle speculation for now. Then, where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and I write every Monday doing the Watchtower series on MTG Price. Uh, how about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my regular haunting of our extremely bustling and super active Discord. Um, I'd also like to announce the $25 winner of our Cool Stuff, Inc., a gift certificate will be Kaloy, C-A-L-O-Y, hanging out in the Pro Trader Discord. If you want to win sweet prizes like that from Cool Stuff Inc., so you can go spend big money with our sponsor, you need to be hanging out when we are doing our recording. 
Uh, also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. And we had Evan Irwin on the show last week from Cool Stuff Inc. Make sure to check out episode 194 if you want to hear us chat with him about the business a little bit, a uh, slightly different angle, I think, than you might get in some of his other content. Uh, that brings us to the episode of episode brings us to the end of episode 195. A great time as always, and I will see you next week, James. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MDG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.